Hey, feisty friends, welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast, where each week we deliver trusted information for women who want to get the best from their bodies throughout their lives. Learn to feel and perform your best through our four pillars of performance, physiology, nutrition, mental health, and culture. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, and this is a Feisty Media production. Hey, feisty friends. Welcome back. It is episode four of our Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. Um, Thank you for being here. This interview that I did is really great for anyone who's looking for women-specific nutrition information or info on how to love our bodies and have a better relationship with food. But before we get into it, I have an announcement. We have a new sponsor. Yay. And if you've heard it already, you will notice it because the new sponsor is a CBD vaginal lube called Apre Delight. We um, at Feisty, we spoke to the owner of Apre Delight a couple months ago. And when she showed interest in sponsoring this podcast, I was thrilled. And, and part of that is because I really think that sex is an important part or can be an important part of who we are and our feeling of well-being in the world. And while I definitely want to recognize that there are asexual people in the world and that it is a spectrum, I don't want to leave that aspect of our beings and of our womanhood out of the podcast. So I think it is an important part of how we thrive as women. And I think that having open and frank conversations about sex and our experiences is really important. And I'm actually someone who's super willing to have those conversations. And I've asked Carrie, our amazing editor and producer, to find a a sex expert in the coming weeks so that we can have a a good conversation about sex and female pleasure. Before we got the sponsor, I had never heard of uh, CBD lube, but I am super keen to try and I'll keep you all posted. Although I have a request from my partner (laughs) to limit how much I share, which I'm sure you all will appreciate as well. Um, So within reason, we will be talking about sex at some point in the coming weeks. And I mean, even the definition of sex, like what even is that? Um, I feel weird saying it as a word, as if it's a thing that's easy to quantify or define. Okay, and hard pivot in another direction to our Feisty Women's Performance Summit that is coming up March 25th to 27th. Uh, We announced two more speakers this week. So three more, actually. Whoa. So last week we announced Amelia Boone, the obstacle course four-time world champion, and Dr. Stacey Sims, the sports physiologist. And now we're adding to that list Allison Marielle Desir, um, who is the author of Running While Black, and the ultra cyclist and the first woman to win the Trans Am bike race outright, Lael Wilcox. And we'll also have former military commander and triathlete, Colonel Yvonne Spencer. And just so you all know, with the Women's Performance Summit, we have, we last year we had about 20 sessions. Uh, looks like it'll be about the same this year. And so what we tend to do is put those inspiring voices with good stories and that will create good conversation or, or potentially panels and Q&As afterwards into those speaker positions. And then a lot of the breakout sessions will be experts. So what we would call experts might be someone who has, who's a PhD in a certain area or, or who has a long time 
practice as a dietitian or some other area that can actually really get to the nitty gritty of performance. So that's kind of how we put together the weekend. So those names I just named will be the on the main stage um, on the weekend. So I'm sure you know how to get your tickets by now, but head over to womensperformance.com and check it out. Okay, so on to the good stuff. This week, I spoke to registered dietitian and former professional cyclist, Kristen Arnold. Now, Kristen's super interesting because her interest in women's health actually precedes her love of cycling, and she kind of became a an athlete a little later in life, and by later, I mean in her 20s, as opposed to being a, a child athlete or an athlete as a kid. But her interest in women's health came out right at the beginning when she started college, Kristen is a certified specialist in sports dietetics, as well as a USA cycling level two coach. Kristen is soft-spoken, but don't let that fool you because she knows her shit. Uh, We talked about fueling, common pitfalls that we tend to fall into. We talked about sorting through the diet trends like intermittent fasting and paleo. We also talked about, uh, I know a lot of folks suffer from GI issues during and after exercise. We talked about navigating perimenopause. And perhaps most importantly, we sort of took a deep dive into how we learn to stop fearing food and start loving ourselves and our bodies. So I won't hold you hostage to my voice any longer. Let's talk to Kristen. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tofosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tofosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tofosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein, like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. 
I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. Hi, Kristen. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So I want to just dive straight in here. Um, I was having a conversation yesterday with someone about how women on average sort of struggle with our identity um, and being able to name kind of who we are and the boundaries between who we are and other people are. And I was reading your website uh, earlier today as I was preparing to talk to you. So my first question is, who is Kristen Arnold? What are your core beliefs? What do you live by? Well, I would say I'm a... Pisces, Sun, Cancer, Moon, Taurus, Rising. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that's the first thing that comes to mind. It's, it's love more it. quantifiable. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, thinking about that, me as me, I feel like I have a really strong sense of accomplishment and I tend to be very goal-oriented with a constant striving to find compassion and empathy for others. Mm-hmm. And also I'm fairly process oriented. So I like to get things done and check things off and fill in boxes. Mm-hmm. I love that. I find this, somebody asked me a similar question to this and I was, and the first thing that came to my mind is that it's a process, right? Like our understanding of our identity is a process. So whatever you would answer today might not be the same even tomorrow or whatever. hundred percent. Yeah. Tell us about your journey with sports. Like, were you an athlete as a kid? I know you're a cyclist now, but how did you get there? Yeah. uh, Growing up, I did a lot of rec sports, like a lot of other kids, just your parents sign you up for whatever's on the rec list at that season. Um, And I played volleyball in middle school from ages 11 to 13. But then I was in marching band in high school, so I didn't do any sports from ages 14 until 21 and really just found my community there with the band nerds and Mm -hmm. just had less time for sports. Although my gym teachers always were trying to encourage me to do sports because I was really competitive in gym class. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And then now you discovered this passion for cycling. What does that, like, how would you describe that passion? How did you find it? And what does it mean to your life now? Yeah. uh, When I found it, I, before I found cycling, I was really involved in environmental justice activism and community organizing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was my passion for life other than going to school and doing the dietetics thing. But I got really burnt out when I was around 20 and decided to 
pass over a lot of the leadership roles I had to other people and was in this transition period. And this family I babysit, babysat for just gave me a bike to borrow. They're like, here, you can go do this now. And <laughs> I started riding with the mom and they introduced me to cyclocross and cyclocross practice um, and mountain biking. And I made a lot of friends really quickly. And I also really liked how I got infinite or uh, immediate gratification from the fitness aspect of cycling. Like I never really pursued physical pursuits. Like I never tried to get better physically at anything since volleyball when I was, you know, 11 to 13. So that was something I found I really, really liked. And then also I could do that with my friends. And I was in Columbus, Ohio. That's where I grew up and where I started my cycling journey. And it's a really tight knit community in central Ohio for cycling. Like everyone mountain bikes, everyone road cycles, everyone does cyclocross racing. So um, it was a really supportive, encouraging community. And that definitely fueled me as well. So the passion I would describe as one part personal pursuit of this kind of drive for excellence physically and mentally. Mm -hmm. And then also within the community, just helping to bring that sense of accomplishment to other people. Yeah. And, and being someone who, um, as you said, wasn't too active for those in between years, did you find that taking up cycling, did it change your relationship with your body to your body and how you felt about your body? Yes, definitely. Um, I became a lot more in tune with my Mm. body for sure. I understood like what kinds of things would contribute to me having more energy or less energy being in the, I was in the, I was in school for dietetics at the time too. So I was studying nutrition and definitely being in that degree, you think a lot about your own body as well while you're learning about others. But, um, yeah, as far as my relationship with my body, it, it had a, it had more of a physical performance lens that I was looking at it rather than, um, health or well-being, which was mm. more of the goals I had before then. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And you said, I read on your website that when you were becoming a dietitian and you were in school, you wanted, you wanted to focus on women's health. And I think that's quite unique in a way, like how at, at that, even that age in your early twenties, how did you become interested in women's health specifically? Why did you see the need for that focus? When I was in college, I actually started as an environmental science degree, and then I switched to dietetics because I really wanted to help people on a more personal level. So my goal was always to help people. um, But like I mentioned, the environmental activism burnt me out pretty quickly. And so I felt like nutrition was a way that I could relate and connect to people on a very personal level and change and help them change for the better and also the rest of the world. And then the women's, I've always had a very strong sense of my identity as far as my femininity. Mm. And at the same time, also a sense of um, 
anger and rejection towards the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And so with the women's health focus, it was really to provide that resource for women to understand their bodies better, um, connect with them, a population that I felt very connected to already. Yeah. I really relate to that in terms of that kind of the, the anger, even the observation of the patriarchal structure under which we live is like, it's, I have sort of childhood. I don't know if anger is the right word, but definitely upset of some mm-hmm. kind. Yes. Like, do you have moments in your childhood that you remember realizing like, Oh, wait a second. Um, something I do may not be valued as highly because I'm a girl or do you have experiences like that? I do for sure. Um, also for my age, I was a lot of adults considered to be me to be a lot more mature than my age was. But at the same time, I still got told I was a kid, (laughs) even though I felt like my opinions were perfectly logical. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely have memories of things like not getting picked for soccer because I was a girl and things like that. Although I I'm 5'11 and I've always, I've been tall my whole life. So that gave me an advantage. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Settings. Uh huh. Interesting. And do you think, I know you said you've taken at least one of Dr. Stacey Sims courses. Um, do you think women need specific information for diet dietetics broadly, but also for sports nutrition? I definitely do. Um, looking at nutrition from any kind of lens, you're going to acknowledge that there's specific needs or like the actual information and all the, and also the way the information is delivered. So having a, having a feminist lens for nutrition does help to um, improve the lifestyle strategies and the health and performance of any population you're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my professional journey, I've really been grown, growing my passion for understanding like specifically what women need and, um, what they will gain the most from. So there's like a physiology side, as far as people that were born with female reproductive organs and have Mm -hmm. menstrual cycle, like there's definitely more research coming out really started in the eighties, but it's now coming to the forefront as far as a lot of what live feisty does feisty media focuses on. So there's that aspect, like acknowledging and honoring the physiology, but then also the cultural. So the messages that women receive from the media or the population or in general are much different than men. And Mm so it's really important to acknowledge that and understand how to unpack that. So we, as a group can move forward with positive lifestyle changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that's kind of everything we're about to with this podcast, like the women's performance podcast and understanding that overlap between the cultural pieces that go along with understanding physiology, nutrition, and also mental health. They all like, like, I really think you can't, it's hard to focus on one without another, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. how do you see that? Like, how do you see some of the culture pieces playing out in specifically in sports nutrition? Well, in the research, I mean, there was always this double standard. I know you guys will definitely talk about this on the podcast if you haven't already, as far as women weren't studied in sports nutrition 
experiments because the menstrual, they acknowledged that the menstrual cycle was such a strong compounding factor. But then also, if you look up the recommendations from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics or from the, I always forget, it's ACSM is the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, like the guidelines that most professionals in the sports nutrition and dietetics practice use, they, acknowledge, they don't acknowledge that the menstrual cycle has a significant impact on performance. So it's kind of this double standard that doesn't make Mm -hmm. sense. And your question was how that plays into the culture. Oh yeah. I think you sort of answered it already in terms of like, because like, like the culture in which we live kind of um, dictates in a way, what kind of questions we're going to ask in those studies. Right. And then the outcomes that we get. Um, I'm also wondering in practical terms, are there ways that you, that things that you see with female athletes specifically that you need to address that may not like that may not be in your original playbook from school? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, first of all, I'll say as a registered dietitian, there is zero, uh, education about sports nutrition. Like it's not part of the curriculum. It's extra. Mm. You want to do that. And I did take classes in sports nutrition, Mm -hmm. grad school, but when I was taking those sports nutrition classes, really the only slide in the whole, um, in all the classes I took was acknowledging that females, people born with female reproductive organs burn fat more effectively than males. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was it. How <laughs> was that? <laughs> Was it the sum total? <laughs> There's also some really funny ones, like um, like this is a recommendation that's still in there that says that women are more more at risk for hyponatremia, which is when you dilute your blood, like you have too much water and not enough electrolytes. Right. They're at higher risk because they're in smaller bodies. <laughs> And that is literally the recommendation. And it's like, Amazing. okay, cool. So you have a hundred pound man and yeah. it just, yeah, it just is not relevant or helpful information in my opinion. Right. So you have this entire kind of program designed to educate dietitians that doesn't really take into account female physiology. So how do you, like, where does that leave sports nutrition right now? Like, or where does that leave nutrition broadly? Like how do we have a long way to go? How do you deal with female clients knowing that that information isn't necessarily readily available? Yeah. It, uh, how do we deal with that? I mean, education, having resources available to women and a big piece for me is having that, having a, um, doing more science education. Uh, science literacy is, is something that I run into a lot, even like even practitioners that I really trust and that generally I feel like provide great guidance. They don't necessarily communicate information in a way that is acknowledging where that information came from. Mm. So like, for example, you can say like women need more carbs in the women need more carbs in the follicular phase than they do the luteal phase. Mm-hmm. Or you could say there's, there's some studies to suggest women in the 
population ages between 15 and 35 have shown that they may benefit from more carbs early on in their menstrual cycle based mm-hmm. on this information, mm-hmm. right? And so like when I'm communicating with my clients, providing the information in that context um, helps them understand that <laughs> it's always a moving target. We don't really have clear answers at any one point. And even if we think we do, we really don't because the science is always changing. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think having that kind of mindset helps people to understand that if they're confused, it's not because there's compete, competing or conflicting answers, but rather like as a profession, we're constantly trying to use all the information we have to provide the best recommendations at the time. Great. Are there places that women can go to get good information? Yeah. Um, Asker Jukendrup is an S an expert. It's a really hard to spell name. It's A S K E R J E U K E N D R U P. Yes. <laughs> also Louise Burke. She's an expert oh, yeah. in sports nutrition mm-hmm. and, um, Nancy Clark is like a pioneer in sports nutrition, not for women specifically. Um, but she has a quite a few resources that are fairly basic information, but definitely good to get started. Um, and can communicate in a way that I think makes sense. Right. And then Stacy Sims, of course, like she's always up there, but I guess to answer your original question, like I do feel like, especially all this new, really exciting information that people can really connect with on a personal level of like their menstrual cycle or their life stage or where they are as a person in a female body. Um, It's important to acknowledge like a lot of this research is fairly new and it's really helpful to integrate that and see how it works for you and not Mm -hmm. necessarily like feel like we have all the answers right now. Totally. I, I often say like we have a wave coming totally. right? because yes. there are a lot of folks come because this wake up call we had around, Oh, oops, a daisy. We forgot to take women into account in the studies, you know, and then there's now there's lots of women doing PhDs in certain areas, sports science. I'm sure it's the same in nutrition science. It's the same in like health broadly. Um, so we're going to have a new wave of information. And then that wave that, you know, new, new information comes along and all of that information shifts and changes as we learn more things. So I think we're Mm -hmm. like just at the beginning of like the first studies that happen aren't necessarily going to be the ones with the most precise information. Um, it's definitely better than no information, (laughs) but like, I think like we're in, we're like looking down a line of like a very bright future, you know, um, with you, with new information. Yes. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering from you are like in, in a practical sense in terms of your practice, like what are the most common challenges you see for active women in, in terms of their nutrition? Yeah, the most common challenge, I mean, I wouldn't say challenges, uh, maybe I'm not going to answer this directly, but <laughs> I will say, <laughs> um, something that we problem solve like me with the client really often is, um, meeting their body's nutrient needs, right? Like meeting their body's energy and Mm -hmm. nutrient needs. 
And generally speaking, I would say something crazy like 80% of my clients probably are eating not enough Mm. and only 20% are eating about as much as their body needs according to the calculations or more. So it's chronic, it's severe Mm -hmm. and it's alarming, but it's reality as far Mm -hmm. as that goes. Like, and the good news is, um, these clients, most of the time, as soon as they start eating more and fueling optimally for their performance and health, it, I mean, you see like immediate benefits, like they have more energy, they're sleeping better, they're performing better. Like it's like a light switch. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm going to take a wild guess and say that's probably related to, I think our topic two weeks ago was about diet culture, Mm -hmm. right. And the messaging around our bodies and restricting calories as a way to lose weight and maintain a certain body fat percentage, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Like, is that, is that how you read it too? hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 80% language. I was going to say, even the language people use um, when they're talking to me, like they want to, um, they have cheat days or they want to cut, they want to do like a cutting period or they want to be toned. And like, those words are all straight from diet Mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. Totally. Okay. So tell us next, the big question, what should we be doing? Like, how do we fuel? (laughs) This is like probably something you can't answer in a couple of minutes, but how should we be eating? What should we be focusing on? How should we fuel for our active lifestyle? And we, as in women, women, active women, active Active women, women. I think broadly, you know, I think there's a pretty wide, a lot of us will be endurance athletes come from endurance sports. Um, but, uh, I think, yeah, broadly active women. Yeah. Um, well, I'll say when I'm working with clients, the first thing we do is focus on what I call uh, foundational nutrition. So Mm -hmm. things like eating three meals a day, having snacks that have foods rich in carbohydrates and fat and protein, fueling with snacks before, during, and after activity. And if those boxes aren't checked, then all of the other more sexy strategies that we might do to enhance performance and health are not going to be effective, right? Right. Like you can't just throw a, a zinc supplement at your body to improve its immune system if it's not getting enough energy and the right kind of nutrients from fruits and vegetables. Okay. So give me those again, three meals a day, three meals a day, snacks with a mix of carbs and fat and protein and fueling before, during, and after activity. Okay. Before, during, and after. And what does the before, during, and after look like in practical terms? Before would be a carbohydrate and or protein rich snack. So you could do like something like a banana or a banana with peanut butter or a scoop of protein powder. Mm -hmm. During would be any exercise over 60 to 90 minutes. The research shows that you will benefit your performance when you take in calories. Mm -hmm. So workouts under 60 to 90 minutes, it's a longer answer, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) over 60 to 90 minutes, it's very clear that you have to take in 
fluid and something with calories in it. Um, so in practical terms, that looks like two to 300 calories and 16 to 32 ounces of fluid per hour. And in practical, practical terms, that would be like a bottle of electrolyte sports drink that might have 100 calories in it. And then two large dates or half of a bar, things like that mm -hmm. per hour. Right. Okay. Let's talk about diet trends a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. I, we, I actually put out to our Slack channel over at Feisty to see if anyone had questions or that there were common questions. And I know we talk about with Stacy a lot about intermittent fasting, paleo diet. Like, are there, first of all, are there any diet trends that are good? <laughs> <laughs> diet trends. Um, <laughs> trendy diets. No, I don't know. I mean, one of those things that in general, the word diet in our culture, typically people associate it with a short-term pursuit, right? And mm, no, right. that is never, that is never something that is going to be helpful or um, promote long-term success. I think in all of these diets, a lot of them initially came from a good place or actually do have a therapeutic angle that is helpful for certain populations, but in general, they're not helpful because they're assumed to be short-term. Mm. Right. So what about like something like intermittent fasting? I know there's like that kind of diet, quote unquote diet trend, you know, the super fans would say that it's a lifetime makes for a lifetime. They mm -hmm. would say that yep. they that they're even expanding their, their life, um, or elongating their life. What, what do you think about intermittent fasting? There was a period of time where I tried to dive into the research on this. Um, mm -hmm. and I'll say I'm not an expert on it. There are other people that are more, probably more qualified to answer that, but in my knowledge, um, first of all, there are studies to show that intermittent fasting can help to regulate blood sugar levels in people that have diagnosed diabetes. Mm -hmm. And it can help people that are in the obese category of the BMI to lose weight. That's what the studies say. Mm -hmm. um, those studies are, again, they're short-term. <laughs> they, right. the ones that I saw, they didn't do long-term follow-ups, nor did they study whether the participants were um, still performing those diets a year or two years later. Mm -hmm. So there is some interesting physiological biomarkers that do benefit from intermittent fasting as far as like inflammation and, and the blood glucose control. Mm -hmm. But again, those studies aren't looking long-term. So when you think about it, big picture, when someone is doing, is performing intermittent fasting, they are depriving their body of nutrients, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like you eat less calories for the day. You're just eating them in shorter, smaller windows. Right. And so, so like a lot of people that I've seen, most of the clients that I've worked with that have tried it, they actually just end up eating. They're actually just starving themselves <laughs> because mm -hmm. they're not eating enough 
in the windows. And also long-term, you can have higher cortisol and also chronic inflammatory markers because you're depriving your body of nutrients and your body can only absorb so many nutrients at one time. So mm-hmm. if you're trying to cram them all into one time frame, it's not going to be as effective. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. A few years ago, I had a, a real estate agent. He was in his seventies, just super energetic. And he had been doing intermittent fasting for 25 years. <laughs> and His pattern was that he ate every other day uh, and he broke his fast at 8 PM. So on the off day he would have. And he told me like his whole, he would start with fruit and open up his stomach and he hold it, had this whole system um, <laughs> of it. It just, it was kind of wild. And honestly, I could tell which day he was on because on the, <laughs> on his fasting day, he would be like all cortisol, kind of like all oh God. like just, like and like the only, <laughs> the only thing he would drink is black coffee. So <laughs> he'd show up like, okay, Sarah, ready to go. Da, 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 <laughs> you know. And then on the day when he was eating, you know, of course on that day, he's probably eating you know, at least one and a half times, I would hope the calories that he would eat in that day, if, if he just ate three meals a day, um, then he was a lot more like heavier and sluggish. It was just a very interesting and funny, and it had become part of his personality. Like that's mm-hmm. who he was, but I, that's the only person I've ever known who like long-term. Um, so as, as an experiment of one, I'm going to say he was still alive. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's, good. <laughs> that's good about news. all the, the only box I could check on that one. Okay. What about paleo? I know that's something that, um, that's, it's kind of a recent trend that a lot of people ascribe to. Um, what do you think about paleo, especially in terms of women's nutrition? Well, first I'll say that all these diets kind of have different definitions, right? right. And, um, paleo is in my opinion, the most broad subjective term people use. (laughs) It's just like fair. I have clients that have told me they're paleo. I'm like, okay, so what does that mean for you right now? Because like, it's just really broad. Mm -hmm. Um, but generally, I mean, I think like at the most hardcore level, people are, are eating essentially like a raw diet and then they might cook things over an open flame, right? Like that would be the farthest end of the spectrum. And then the least far (laughs) end of the spectrum is, um, people that are eating foods that could be eaten raw, but they're cooking everything. And also they probably have grains and beans and legumes and lentils and other foods that are generally not part of that diet sometimes. And in practice, I would say the biggest limitation of a paleo diet is you're really limited by your choices for carbohydrate rich foods, right? Cause you're cutting out grains, any kind of processed grain, beans, legumes. And so those foods are incredibly nutrient dense. There are so many like per calorie of food vitamins, minerals, essential fatty acids, essential amino acids, and just pure quantity. Like it's really, it can be really challenging to eat enough volume of food with that limit, without those food groups. Mm, That's what I was thinking. It's hard to imagine eating enough, being able to eat enough carbohydrate, um, without, I don't know, at least some kind of processing of some of your foods. 
Mm-hmm. And it's super expensive. Like it's, I mean, that's definitely one of the most expensive quote unquote dyes you can do. Right. And the time commitment to preparation too, like as a busy athlete, I'm not sure I would want that, mm-hmm. yep. which sort of leads me to the next thing about, um, GI issues. I know like I used to coach triathletes. This is a super common one, like people who have GI issues and can't um, have struggled either during a workout or to eat after a workout. What do you suggest for those people? Uh, yeah. So the, first of all, um, it is harder to eat. It's <laughs> either the blood, your blood is all diverted to your limbs for the exercise and out of your gut. Right. So it is um, objectively like more challenging to eat during activity than not for a number of reasons. And, but that doesn't mean that your body doesn't incredibly effectively respond to food and calories and eating during exercise when it gets what it needs. So, I mean, I don't like to use the word hacking because I feel like it's kind of a jargony, (laughs) Right. A trendy word, but like, yeah, a lot of, there's a lot of, if you were to, if you were to exercise like intuitive eating, for example, like your body intuitively may not want to eat during exercise, mm-hmm. but when you do start to eat during exercise, you realize, oh, I actually have more energy. I'm able to put out more power or go faster. Um, and so in order to do that, you have to train your gut. You have to train your gut to take in food and calories and fluid while you're exercising. So if you're starting from a place of like never eating, then I would start with like six to eight ounces per hour, sipping in small amounts, like teeny tiny little bites of bars or blocks or fruit. Um, and then working up to a lot more than that, but you do actually like you train your stomach to expand during exercise. Like your stomach is not, um, naturally expanded necessarily, but once you start to just like you're training your body to do exercise, you're pushing past your body's limits in order to make physiological adaptations, which translate to higher oxygenation, um, higher mitochondrial density, you can do the same with your gut and increase the amount of enzymes and space for your food and fluid to go. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. 
you can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedda's have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedda's.com and it will all be in the show notes. Oh, interesting. So, okay. Would this apply to me as well? So I'm, um, like I did Ironman for 14 years and I was one of those people who was like fairly lucky on being able to take in food during training. Mm -hmm. I always, I always like sipped my gels and stuff like that. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to like onboard a ton of food at a time, but Mm -hmm. generally I wouldn't have problems. Um, but now as someone who sort of exercises like one hour a day, um, typically like mid morning, I struggle to eat in the morning. Like, is it possible to train? I haven't really thought about this, but is it possible to train my gut in the same way to eat more calories in the morning? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, lots of people don't eat anything in the morning at all, mm-hmm. ever, like until like 2 p.m. <laughs> um, and it's definitely like once you start getting in the habit of doing that, your body will then expect it. And then going back will be challenging. So, right. And I'm sort of, 
you know, I was used to eating in the morning before because I would work out or I'd work out, have a small snack and then work out and that would trigger my appetite. So I think that's part of it now is that I don't have that appetite trigger happening until I work out, say at nine or 10 in the morning. And by the time I'm done, it's like, it's close to lunchtime or I'm having brunch anyway. Like, is there a, um, is there a benefit to trying to push some, some of my food ingestion further or like to the top of the day? There's definitely a benefit to that. Um, from a fueling perspective during exercise, like you'll be, you'll have more energy during your training or your workout or activity if you have fuel in there. And also from a metabolic standpoint, there are some studies to suggest that people with um, female reproductive organs have more sensitive insulin in the morning than the evening. Mm-hmm. And so what that means if is um, having more carbohydrate-rich foods and breakfast, snacks, lunch, and tapering throughout the day will be more in line with how your body utilizes those carbohydrates. So it'll utilize more of those carbs for energy and organ function and activity as if you had switched it and have all your carbs at night. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of those carbs will be used for storage. Right. Oh, that's interesting. So, so eat my candy in the morning. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Eat all your candy (laughs) right first thing in the morning. Perfect plan. Um, Okay. Another question, personal question for me too, but I'm thinking our listeners will probably appreciate it. Like I'm just starting to come into some symptoms of perimenopause. Um, Is there anything I can shift in my diet now to help get me through the next few years? Mm -hmm. What I found is a lot of the concepts are similar throughout the life cycles of women, but it's just more, it's like way more important <laughs> when you're in perimenopause that you honor those, those strategies. So um, the strategies, as far as tapering the carbs throughout the day, having more carbohydrate rich foods in breakfast and in lunch and less in dinner, Mm -hmm. Um, and fueling around exercise, having those carbs and protein for during and after your activities. So those two, and then also incorporating anti-inflammatory rich foods, foods that promote less inflammation can help to regulate those hormone levels more helping your body along. So, um, fatty fish, like salmon, sardines, mackerel, herring, and um, foods rich in antioxidants. So berries, sweet potatoes, um, anything orange. So winter squash, carrots, things like that. <laughs> I love it. If, if, yeah. if it can come down to a color, that's an easy category. Yes. Right? Orange. <laughs> orange. Exactly. I love it. Cool. Thank you. I'm like taking notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is like after to my own personal nutrition session. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, thank my you. My master's for that. thesis was um, in developing a dietary intervention to lower chronic inflammatory markers in postmenopausal women. Mm. Um, but a lot of the same concepts apply. To yeah. What did you find there for postmenopause? Uh, because there is a lack of uh, estrogen, I was going to say oxygen, 
Um, I'm at altitude. No. <laughs> Estrogen being produced in the body that has a significant impact on um, overall inflammation and then also bone density. Mm-hmm. And estrogen is very protective towards bone density. And so in order to counteract that, incorporating these anti-inflammatory rich foods can help again to address the fact that there's less estrogen being produced. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty significant. Like we were, uh, like all of our participants had lower chronic inflammatory markers at the end of our study than in the beginning. Hmm. Cool. Okay. Um, and to finish off, I'm going to go back to, um, one of the questions that I sent through, because it's been sitting with me, uh, when I read yesterday that 71% of women in North America say they're unhappy with how their bodies look. And I was just kind of reflecting on that. And the, the conversation we had previously about diet culture and all the messaging that, that women sort of receive in our culture that we bring into a situation when we, you know, when someone comes to you for nutritional help, right? So have Mm -hmm. you successfully been able to guide, to guide people to sort of relearn to love? I think it comes together, right? Like to be able to eat and fuel yourself properly and not fear food, right? You also have to find that self-love and, and love your own body. So how, like, how have the women who you've seen kind of overcome that, how have they done it? Or what would you recommend to, to anyone struggling with that? Yeah, I think it takes a couple different strategies at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just like a light. I mean, yes, there's a light bulb that goes off at some point, but it's usually an accumulation of different strategies. Mm-hmm. And I, I am very fortunate that I feel like I have been a part of women's journeys in that. Mm-hmm. Um, from pretty often in my practice, women will come to me with specific goals and in dietetics, we're trained, I was trained in a technique called motivational interviewing. And one of the principles is called rolling with resistance. Mm-hmm. So rather than like trying to fight your instincts or what your brain is telling you to think, like kind of like rolling with it and incorporating mindfulness into those thoughts. Um, so when you have a visceral or emotional response to something in relation to your body, like starting to learn how to dissociate, not dissociate, that's not the right word, but like approach it with mindfulness. Right. Or like observe that feeling Observing, kind of yes. thing. Yeah. yeah. That takes a really long time. Um, right. <laughs> so that's one strategy. Another is definitely working with practitioners that have um, health at every size training or Mm. expertise, um, is incredibly valuable. Just having that lens, having healthcare practitioners that are empathetic to that and understand those factors, stop following toxic social media accounts. Like that is like (laughs) number, like if you're doing that, it's like, you're not, it's going to be incredibly difficult for you to get on the other side of that journey. It's like Um, feeding the beast kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like at some point you can start to view them in a different way. Um, but like starting out, like, especially if that's part of the reason that people are having these feelings, like that's, that's like 
strategy that needs to be addressed immediately. Mm. That's so interesting. Cause I think if I, social media is, is great and it's terrible, it's, it's everything, yes. but like we, we can curate our feeds, mm-hmm. right? Like it's not an all or nothing proposition kind of thing. Like you can get rid of all the bullshit from your feed if you want to, like every once in a while an ad will sneak through because someone's paid <laughs> to put, mm-hmm. to put their message in front of you. But for the most part, I, I love being able to go, Oh no, <laughs> like yeah. unfollow. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I think in my practice, a lot of what I help to support women in is just acknowledging how, how nice it is to have optimal energy levels, feeling healthy and having good performance and how those are really the keys to happiness Mm -hmm. um, rather than an aesthetic lens. Mm -hmm. So, and again, that's like a, that's what we're working towards. It's not like, we're just going to do that immediately. Right. Yeah, it is. You know, it's a funny thing. Cause I think once you say there's not um, like, there's no magic moment and things have to be worked on. And I, I totally agree with that. Um, and at the same time, I think like that moment, if you can convince yourself to have buy-in on the fact that there are more important things in life to focus on, like I want to have energy. I want to have fun. I want to spend time with the people that I love. Like, if you can actually just get focused and then decide okay, I'm going to focus on that. Then that can be a magic moment in a way, even though it's probably the accumulation of, of tons of work that's brought you to that moment. Mm -hmm. I do feel like there's, there is a kind of decision. It's like, actually, this is what I want for my life, you know? Totally. Um, So yeah, it's good to hear you saying that too. And that you're seeing that happen with the people you work with. Yeah. And I'll say too, um, another thing is I deal with a lot is like a lot of women come to me uh, one, one of the main reasons people work with me is that they want to get better at their sport, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of other reasons people come to me also, but one of them <laughs> is to, I want to be better at my sport mm-hmm. and depending on the sport, they may, their body may not be the, what they perceive as the optimal body type for that. And like, they're just physiologically, it's going to be if they can fit into that body type, they will, it will be a very unhealthy, um, long-term, short-term process. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, do, something I tell my clients often that experience that is that everybody has their own physiological advantages. Right. I mean, an example would be Um, somebody in what would be considered an ectomorph type body. So like less fat, less muscle will Mm -hmm. have the potential, not innate, but the potential for good, like watts per kilogram for cycling, right. Able to go up hills quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, but they are going to have a lot of disadvantages when it comes to absolute power output. Like they're not going to be able to go as fast on a flat road or for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And so where people may think like, Oh, I have to have this body type to do this sport. Like it really, every body type has their own advantages, mm-hmm. um, over others. So like just really owning that mm. and knowing like, this is the body that you were gifted with in this world. And, um, 
and acknowledging that can really help to see where your strengths are as an athlete. Yeah. I love that. And isn't it true of everything in life? Really? Like as you're talking, I'm thinking like, as I'm building my business, right. One of the main things for me is to, as, as we have new employees, cause we've done a lot of hiring the last couple of years. It's like, what is that person's strengths, you know, in terms of their, like, and what will they bring that will be unique to the business that we can kind of leverage and help them thrive? even like, it's not even necessarily a physical strength, like going up hills, mm-hmm. but the same, you know, the same, uh, do you call it like the same concept applies, right? Like that's a great way. That is a great way to focus on your own performance. Totally. Yeah. Like, um, for me personally, I, I, I know what my power profile looks like. Like I was racing professionally for six years and like, at some point I just like flatlined and it was either going to be the only thing that I ever did. And I had to sacrifice everything in my life to get 5% better at something, <laughs> or mm. I just own that I was mediocre at a lot of things in my power profile. So taking advantage of other aspects of my performance that I could mm. um, take advantage of. Mm. Helpful. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Well, thank you, Kristen, so much um, for being here and for talking about all things nutrition and beyond. Um, Yes. Very much appreciate talking to you. So thank you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed that conversation with Kristen as much as I did. Um, please, we're still a new podcast, head over to your podcast app to Spotify or Apple podcasts and give us a a five-star review. If you think we're a five-star podcast, obviously, and leave us a review. Thanks for listening and talk to you next week.